Hi, everyone. I'm RJ O'Connell from the Motorsport 101 podcast. Stray Harrison and Cam Buckley are with us as usual. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Uh, but I feel it only appropriate whether we start off by remembering World Rally Championship driver Craig Breen, um, really one of WRC's most loved and respected competitors, died this past Thursday in a test for the upcoming Rally Croatia, which is this weekend. Uh, Craig Breen was a second-generation rally driver who followed in the footsteps of his father, Ray, and he spent the better part of 14 years since 2009 competing in WRC, first as a young independent driver in production-based cars, like many rally drivers these days get their start. And then he rose the ranks and became a factory driver for the likes of Citroen, Ford, and Hyundai. In fact, this year, he started his second stint with the Hyundai factory. He won 35 stages over that time and got nine overall podiums, including a second place finish in his final rally in Sweden this past February in his first start back with the Hyundai team, one that he'd hoped would lead him back to another full-time opportunity next year. I'd say in life, Breen was always revered for his unrivaled passion and for the sport and his genuine joy and enthusiasm for it. When given the opportunity to drive anything, whether it was a Group B MG Rover Sits R4 in historic meetings, much like the one that his dad used to drive, or whether he was at the wheel of top of the line world rally cars in which he earned his living for the past goodness, seven years, uh, he was one of he was also one of Ireland's most prolific motorsport athletes in a day and age where they admittedly come so few and far between. Like the Irish people loved him and he loved them back and he was willing to give back to future generations of rally drivers from his home country to try and get them up the ranks and pursue their own dreams of rallying. Um, we learned that following his untimely death, Hyundai Motorsport will enter this weekend's Rally Croatia with all their cars carrying special liveries in the colors of the Irish flag. And as a mark of respect, the number 42, which Breen chose as his personal number when WRC allowed its drivers to do so, will be retired from the series forever. Motorsport 101 would like to offer our sincerest condolences to the Breen family and to the many, many friends and supporters he gained along the way. Dre, it's never easy transitioning out of a eulogy for someone who should still be with us and right into talking about another form of motorsport with its own inherent dangers, but I'd like to think we'll do our best. We always do, and that's why we're here. Ultimately, we don't take motorsport maybe quite as seriously as some other do, but we, we are we're all still deeply touched by uh, Craig Green's passing and some of the interviews and clips seen along the way. I mean, I don't claim to be the the, the a huge rally fan um uh, but his passion and love for life and the sport was inspiring and a, a tragic tragic loss um rally drivers have my ultimate respect to be able to go out there and do what they do and oh it's a, it's a it's a horrible horrible loss and um i, I know ireland but in particular i've been i know have been hit particularly hard by this because as you said beautifully rj that they haven't had a massive amount of representation at the highest level of global motorsport and craig was a, a, a wonderful ambassador for that so echoing what rj said from all of us here um our sincere condolences and 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 love to the breen family 
everyone um, in the WRC and the rally community at large because I know how horribly it's hit them. Um, Breen, Breen was one of their own, and uh, yeah, that was more than that was more than apparent over the last week or so. And if and looking on the brighter side, which is what we often do on this show, and trying to find some joy and some passion about some of the series we watch. It's actually quite a fitting, probably just a coincidence, but a fitting one that the MotoGP race this weekend was won by a man with the number 42 on the front of his bike, and that person was Alex Rins. Hi, guys. Uh, welcome to episode 434 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. As RJ said, I'm Dre Harrison, of course, your friendly neighborhood host. And uh, with me again is Cam Buckley. Hi, Cam. How's it going, big man? Um, It's going all right. Um just still recovering from uh getting chopped open which is uh never a fun time but uh i'm on the mend trying to be on the mend given the circumstances you know glad you're on the mend Mm. um i did did i hear this right that alex rins won the moto gp race alex rins you know it's (laughs) echoing uh the words from my intro there is something right that uh, number 42 did at least take a victory this weekend. Um, those of you who don't know about Craig Breen, go, lo- just look up on YouTube. Look up him uh, in an MG Rover uh, yeah, 6R4. Go look, at, look up his go look it up footage. And right. just revel in it. Take it in. Um, mm. you, will, you will never find a bigger fan of what he did um, than indeed Craig, because uh, just absolutely adored adored his job and that was infectious to everyone around him <sighs> yeah a honda won yeah that was a thing that, that was a thing and and it wasn't mark marquez either no no he's still home yeah he's still still resting his broken thumb as we found out in the run-up what's to this the li- what's the line what's the line given the results from this race and an indy car they don't call it the Honda Motor Company for nothing. <laughs> if, there's, if there's one thing right with this bike, it is the motor, but not quite as prevalent as the other line. Death, taxes, Ducati tucks the front. Hey. But it wouldn't happen. Uh, it to. wasn't it, just Ducatis. It was a lot of bikes this weekend. It was everybody. Like, like, like the tucking the front uh, held no quarter. Um, over, regardless of manufacture, over the course of this weekend, we'll get into some of that. We'll get into Alex Rins and yeah, the the first LCR Honda victory in just over five years. Um, it, it's been a long time since LCR. I mean, as Cam moves, we were watching, we were watching the highlights before we got in here. Honda, like LCR Honda, hadn't even had a podium since 2019 with Cal Crutchlow. Yeah, Australia um, 2019. Philip Island, yeah. Rock, rocked up a Honda 1 2. Yeah. Of course, Mark won that race. But I mean, no win since the Don't Doubt Me Cal Crutchlow race. <laughs> BT Sport was using that in its promotional material for a good six months after that race finished. And understandably no so. It was, a, it, was, it was a fantastic race, even though it, it's kind of become more known for marquez's explosion but at the front we had that incredible fight between crutchlow and another guy that still somehow hasn't won it and that was johan zarko probably the closest he's ever come to winning a moto gp race and not doing so uh, so we'll he's- get into all of alex rins and uh, his remarkable victories he joins the two manufacturer winners club 
still think there's only about 10 people in that club still. Um, I've got to double check uh, the names on uh, it. Trey, uh, what is it? What is it? Three out of the last six, Rins yeah. has won. Going, going, back to lo- going back through last season, Alex Rins has won 50% of the races since Phillip Island, which is uh, wild that uh, Alex Rins is just, again, just white hot, but he's able to carry over some of that form into a Honda, which we all know is a tank. And not in a good way either. Um, but we also have to talk about the fact that the current world champion has done it again. And I don't mean win. Well, kind of win. Why he, are you the way that you are? Uh, you won the sprint race, all right. So that counts for something. But in the Grand Prix itself, uh, not again, Francesco. Not again. How many times? <laughs> I could Why? tell that y'all are ready to cook up a masterpiece. I cannot wait to get mm-hmm. into this. Oh, this is going to be Go fun. On. We, it's fun as it always is, uh, but we'll quickly tell you where you can find us real quick. We're, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Motorsport. I was got underscore 101, sorry. Um, our personal handles at Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, and at C Buckley 917. Um, website with all our details on there is at motorsport101.com. All our social media is out there. All of our episodes are out there, as well as bonus written content written by your boy, yours truly, with extra thoughts. And I think it, this was actually the longest race review I've ever done for a MotoGP weekend. This was a lengthy, like it's, it's one of those ones where, and we'll, you'll get into this as we go into the podcast. We're, we're going to go for, we're going to have, we're going to do our own version of the lightning round. I say, so, Dre, the lightning round on your article was longer than some of your entire articles in the past. I wrote more about all the extra shit that I did about Alex Rins actually winning. It, 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 it's it's wild. There was a whole lot to talk about. I, I called it, you know, that Simpsons special 22 short stories about Springfield. That's what this felt like reviewing <laughs> this MotoGP race. Fantastic um, reference. Um, so like, that's what it felt like. And we'll, we'll get into some of those topics later. Some great, some not so great. Um, and yeah, there's a lot to break down from this weekend, which will go rapid fire on in a bit. But if you want some extra thoughts from yours truly on that and on IndyCar's Grand Prix at Long Beach, because there was a lot to break down in that one as well on and off the track. Um, check that out on the blog section of our website, motorsport101.com. And if you really like us, you can get the link there for our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Uh, five bucks gets you early access to all of our episodes. You can upgrade to 10 bucks to get into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, including Jason, who's in here right now, who's very kindly updated us on the Champions League football at the same time. Thanks, Jason. Much appreciated. Wonderful. Please, please, please give us money so we can do more cool stuff. We like that, doing cool stuff. We do like cool stuff. And we've got a special guest coming up on the IndyCar episode coming up later on this week as well. So do stay tuned for that. So we've cooked up enough. Let us cook on MotoGP's Grand Prix of the Americas right after this. I think we haven't started cooking. I think all we've done was uh, we just we chopped the we vegetables. Organized. We've done the prep. We've done all the prep. It took us four days. But this <laughs> dinner is going to smell phenomenal. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, well, this was a uh, topsy-turvy weekend for our world champion, Francesco Bagnaia. He dominated the sprint race at Circuit of the Americas. He won it by three seconds over surprise. Alex Rins and Jorge Martin finishing at third. He was looked at, set to do the same in the feature race itself until 
at the outside of turn two. He crashed on his own in the lead and gift wrapped an easy win to Alex Rins, who took a second win on American soil. The first LCR Honda victory since 2018, the first podium since 2019. Interestingly enough, Francesco Bagnaia said his bike was, quote, too stable to understand how it felt before he tucked the front. Renz would go on to win comfortably ahead of Luca Marini in second with his first Grand Prix podium, and Fabio Corraro giving it the old college try in third. Dre, there's a lot to dissect for this one, but first of all, we got to talk about Alex. Renz, how surprised were you to see him win? Not as surprised as some people. Like, uh, you read back on the interviews, and I know it's easy to say now. Like, the team itself were apparently very quietly confident going into this weekend that they felt Alex, who it's worth pointing out here, and I mentioned this during our Discord calls, and no one listened to me when I mentioned this, the fact that Rins has won in all three classes at the Circuit of the Americas, Moto3, Moto2, and in the Premier top-class flight in 2019, where where that was where Marquez's streak of winning in Cota ended with that engine braking failing. He had to beat still pretty competitive Valentino Rossi to win that first MotoGP race he ever had in the top flight um, that same weekend. So I, I did read interviews saying that LCR were actually quietly quite confident going into this one, which I, I love the fact that they were quietly confident. And I know Cam's going to mention this at some point because I feel like it has to be worth a mention. Alex Marquez saying he had an 85% chance to win going into this weekend on the Ducati, which I thought, given <laughs> the... <laughs> given, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He said that and then God took notice because, uh, well... Alex Marquez actually, he, he was competitive on pace around here. He did qualify, quite qualify fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very quick, and then it all kind of seemed to come apart from there. Now, if you're eating something while listening to this podcast, mute for the next two minutes. Mute for the next two minutes, please and thank you for your own sake. Um, my man was indulging in some of that Texas barbecue, <laughs> and uh, which I hear is the best in the world. Uh, one of my friend from Dallas says that all the time. Um. He threw up in his helmet during the sprint. Oh, the Mark Webber. He went full Mark Webber and then crashed about three corners later. Um, That's got to be the best excuse in a matter of speaking for dropping your bike on the pavement. Uh, yeah, but can you imagine it's still in your helmet and then you crash? Oh, man's mm. man's had a bad time. Oh, um, and that was as good as it got, because in the main race, uh, lap one, going through the first sector, Jorge Martin just takes way too much speed into the corner, tucks the front, and blasts Alex Marquez between two bikes all the way towards the wall. Which is about 200 feet away. Yeah, Alex was actually really, or Alex Marquez, there's multiple Alexes in this section, mm. uh, was very lucky to not be seriously injured from this because it was just one of those nasty freak accidents where he gets caught between the two bikes and they're just sliding on the asphalt. They're losing no momentum and he's carried all the way out into the wall. He actually did physically hit the wall, but thankfully seems to be okay physically. Yeah. Um, So a tale of two different signs of confidence here, folks, but Alex Rins was incredible all weekend long. Fantastic. Qualified on the front row, which was already a minor surprise. Then in the sprint, 
He, his game plan was perfect. Try and disrupt Banyaya's momentum at the start of the sprint. Couldn't quite do it. Banyaya did get away, but Rins fought back after making a couple of minor mistakes and then beat Alasia Spagaro for second. He ended up falling to, uh, to 4th or so in the end. But um, yeah, um, Alex Rins was great in the sprint, was second there, and then took it one further in the race. And once Banyaya crashed, and it, again, we'll get to Banyaya in a bit, once the once he crashed, Rins was comfortable. He you know, he was he he had one minor mistake where he lost about half a second, but he quickly got it back. He was he was in complete control of the pace of that race after Banyaya tipped it. And Luca Marini, who we all know is on a faster bike, and good for Luca Marini by the way, his first Grand Prix podium in second place. Great ride from him, um, best of his career to date. Um, both mm. both the forty sixes are are on it at the moment, so good to see from them. Um, they continue in their good run of form. Um, well, what Rind, I was going to say, yeah, what I was going to say is that actually here at this track, because it is quite different to a lot of other tracks, the Honda does have benefit. He was super quick through sector one. Mm. I mean, he, visibly behind Benyai, he could carry more speed through the turns. And really, he was able to ride that bike really just beyond the limit um, to mitigate where it was weak, which was really coming up out of the corners and onto the straights. Because once they get going, the Honda engine is, you know, it can give the Ducati the fight. It's just out of the corner. The Honda's spinning its tire until halfway down the straight. Um, And yeah, Rins, Rins just looked beautiful around this track. Always in rhythm. And I mean, that first stint, that, that first section of the race, the I said it watching the two of them, like Rins and Banyaya are completely over the limit. Oh, yeah. They were at 12 tenths. R- Rins was going for every block pass on every hard braking zone you could find. And this track's got the biggest braking zone of the year in it. That that run to turn 12, you're going from 210. Some cases, like Maverick hit 220 during this yeah, in race in, yeah. in, in, in the toe 220 down to 40 yeah um which is just wild it's the biggest breaking zone we face all year because that left-hander at turn 12 is a, is a beyond 90 degree left-hander and uh very very yeah, easy you to could see it there. yeah you could see it in the body language of the bikes how hard the two of them are pushing and i said it before benyaya went down like one of these two is going to hit the deck it's just going to be a question of which one does it first yeah he, um, he did say that <laughs> he did, yeah he... I, I have witnesses i have receipts mm. um but yeah, I mean, immediate ride of the year contender, given the machine that he's on, even if it does have some mitigation of its weaknesses here. And as you said, Rins has always been really exceptional around Coda. And he looked from the second they unloaded um, for practice, he looked like he looked like himself on the Suzuki, just making shapes on that bike, making it work. Um <sighs> It's hard for me to assess what kind of went on around it because so many people crashed this race. Mm. Jack Miller, six crashes this weekend <sighs> while running third. He, he could have been in the fight for the win and just dumped it up the road. His pace was great. His pace was he was matching the leaders through the first five laps of the race and then tipped it. But look at how hard the t- look at how hard the three of them were pushing to generate that kind of pace. Oh, yeah, they, they were at 11 temps. Easy. They were yeah. they were way over the visibly limit. beyond the limit. Um, and yeah, for wins for Rins to win only his third ever race on a Honda, 
is incredibly impressive. On this Honda, it's even more impressive. And he's he is just he's cooking right now. Gotta be real with you. I know LCR Honda were internally confident, but I don't know how much any of us would have believed it at the time. No, no I mean, chance. You could see they had the pace. It was a question of whether they could sustain it. That was arguably the surprise of the race. We knew that Rins could sustain it for three or four laps. We saw that from the sprint race. But to be able to sustain it as long as he did and make Banyaya just go over the limit, which He's doing way too often these days. Um, that was the surprise part. You can rip a fast lap out of this bike if you really just, if you really push the issue right. with it. Throw caution to the wind. Yeah, if you throw caution to the wind, you can get the Honda to make a fast lap time. But to sustain that in the race, that's what was really impressive about this. That's part race. of the. That's part of Mark Marsh has his problem and why he's still sitting out. Yeah, because the dude is just he's a twenty tenths folding the bike in half trying to get lap time out of it yeah and he can but uh, that only works so long as you don't crash yeah as mentioned first non-marquez honda win since argentina 2018 the don't doubt me race that's the, that was it's been a long five years since since lucio checking has been able to celebrate a race win what about him? Go- <laughs> what him on the last lap dre just calm <laughs> it down rinse calm <laughs> it down over the pit wall <laughs> Tranquilo. <laughs> My man, uh, arms akimbo over the wall. Please, Alex, just get this bike home. And they did. And apparently by the time all the journos were left, he, uh, Rins was apparently down there helping his team pack up while chugging beers. Um, so which I thought was uh, quite they funny. They were did you see him fucking night. Did you see him doing the burnout on the electric, uh, on the electric scooter in the garage? How do you even do that? And those bikes aren't, those scooters aren't that powerful. Trust me, I would know. <laughs> no, 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 he's uh, he's on one of those little electric uh, electric scooters. I mean, they have torque. They they do have torque. That that, that I can't deny. They, they, he he finds a way. Um, but yeah, uh, just like that as well, because of all the chaos. Alex Rins is now third in the championship after after picking up. 34 points this weekend because he also got nine for finishing second in the sprint race. So uh, Alex Rins in the title hunt all of a sudden. Great. This dude had a thousand yard stare the first time he rode that bike in preseason. Oh, yeah. Three races later, he's he's won on the damn thing because, of course, he has. That's incredibly impressive. I don't even I we love Yoan Mir, but it's already getting worrisome when people are thinking like, did Repsol Honda hire the wrong dude from Suzuki? Well, that's because JB loves being contrarian in our service. <laughs> however, this was however, this wasn't even targeting anybody in our community. Mine was. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I mean Mir's having I mean the factory the factory Repsol team looks shit this weekend. Both of them crashed in the race itself. Mir was every one Honda the- crashed in the race except for Rins. Yeah, everybody else binned at one point or another, um, which is a kind of uh, it's kind of a microcosm for this race, including the big one, which we'll now get into here because, as mentioned, Francesco Bagnaia, he won the sprint race, dominated that, and we thought, well, this season looks inevitable, doesn't it? Um, where he just he just broke away from Rins, won the sprint by three seconds, and we thought, well. Yeah, that's probably a preview for tomorrow, isn't it? Um, and then tips the front outside of turn two, 
um, at speed, uh, bins it from the lead. And again, for those keeping keep those keeping score at home, and I, I have because there have been 26 races, if you include the three sprints that we've had so far since the start of last season. 26. Um, seven of them, Banyaya has crashed. Six of them have been from the lead. It is alarming how this is happening. I mean, and 30%. 30%. And the script question I put down here for us was, Francesco Bagnaia, why are you the way that you are part two? I, um, I'm, I, I will take credit for that. Thank you. Yeah, that's that, that's Cam's. Uh, why? You can have that why? one. Why? Why? Dre, why wanna, are you the wanna, way that you are? I want to read something that Dre posted on, mm. uh, on Saturday the 15th. It said... The only person who's beating Francesco Bagnaia for the title is himself. Listen to me now. Believe me later on. <laughs> oh, we believe. <laughs> Look, and, and, then, uh, and then one day later, I, I QRT'd myself and I said, he is him. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, as, as I said in the last segment, you could see it visibly in the attitude of the bike. Now, the bikes skate around a lot here because of the surface, which is something we will get into. But you could see that these two were just they, they kept going out back and grabbing ever larger steel chairs. And because of the nature of this track and because of the nature of these tires, which I maintain are not fit for purpose, Michelin needs to do a better job and they are not allowed to do a better job because of the way the sport is run right now. Um, you're so critical on the front tire here. And you're already critical on normal tracks, but here even more so. And Banyaya just tipped it in for turn two. He was a little bit wide of the mark, and he just went, the bike just completely folded under him. And, and, and again, my question is, like, Alex Rins, until this, was not, in the, not, not seriously in the title fight. Do you need to be over the limit like that? Do you need to be pushing that hard? Because you could see it coming that one of them was going to crash. Banyaya was just starting to get away from Rins when that crash happened. It was all like, if anybody remembers... We know the story. If anybody remembers Misano 2021... Yep. Um, then, and there's, there's a reason why I brought this up, so bear with me for just a second here. That was a race where he, where Banyaya was in a dogfight with Mark Marquez for the win, and Banyaya was just starting to gap Marquez towards the latter half of that race. Now, don't the the, the circumstance is slightly different because Banyaya had to win to keep his slim hopes of winning the title alive, so he had to win. But he was already benching Marquez. I don't think Marquez had the stamina post third surgery on his arm to go as hard as he did for the entire race. And then Banaya tips the front, crashes up the penultimate corner, Fabio Quadraro wins the world championship right there and then, and we can break out a CGI Anthony's underpants dancing in a Misano gravel trap. This was a carbon <laughs> copy of that crash and that scenario, everything except the title implications. But even then, I wanted to make this, and Cam's kind of half made my point for me on this one. You look around you and you look at the state of the championship right now. Alex Rins is not a direct title threat as it stands. And I don't think he will be over the course of this season, given what we know about Honda. You've already, you're already in a jackpot situation. Mark Marquez. You're playing with house money. Yeah. Mark Marquez was 
planning to come back for this round. He didn't make it. Anea Bastianini was planning to make it back for this round. He didn't make it. This is house money. You could have taken, you know, like, okay, dial it down a little bit in pace. Even if Rins beats you on merit, no real harm done, and you're plus 29 points on Bastianini and Marquez over the weekend. Instead, you only leave plus 12 because you won the sprint. And it is just another eye-roll expression for a man who has had nearly a 30% crash rate in the weird... It's like, it's like again, I've got one more tangent here real quick. If anybody has seen... If anybody is a fan of SB Nation, and I know some of you are because... The, uh, the views on our Ryan Nanny episodes the most we've had so far this year. So I know some of you are out there that really enjoyed it. Um, SB Nation do a video series called Collapse. And one of those episodes is on the Miami Marlins who won a World Series in the middle of a collapse. And this is kind of what it feels like with Peko Banyaya to a degree, where he's had seven DNFs in Grand Prix. I'm not even counting the three sprints because two of them he's won. But the but if you don't even count the sprints, we're talking 23 Grand Prix. He's crashed in over 30% of them since the start of last year and still won a world title. For the it's- greatest comeback in, in contemporary MotoGP history from and circumstances he needed help to entirely do it. of his own making. Uh, yeah, and he needed help to do it because Fabio, well, he started doing the same thing right at the end. Yeah. Because he had no choice. Yeah. Shout out to Fabio Quadraro who put that just that just sled of a he bike tried. third. He, 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 he was really Lord knows he was trying. I mean, he Hell was an effort. completely over the limit in the sprint and ended up crashing. Less so in the feature race and got it done. But like Banyaya is so lucky right now because his two primary threats aren't here. And he's just, this is the opportunity for him to just run away in the title. And he just isn't. Well, Cam, look at it this way, right? You know MotoGP's new intro sequence, right? Yep. Who are the four guys who gets the special graphic when they're staring at the trophy at the end? I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I don't remember. I'll tell you. I'll tell you who. (laughs) Because I I do, I'm a nerd for things like this and intro sequences and things like that and graphical presentations, right? If you watch MotoGP's new intro sequence, which I know people want to say, oh, they just ripped it off of F1. MotoGP was doing the light box first. Let me just point that out first and foremost, right? Second of all, the, like at the end of the intro, when it gets to like the championship runners, because they, they they show off all the runs, but they do it in reverse championship order from the previous season. So it's weird seeing Marquez in the middle because I think he was thirteenth in the championship last year. So you yep. see him in the midfield, but then by the end of the sequence, you've got Francesco Bagnaia, Fabio Quadraro, Alicia Spargaro. Uh, um, and Mark Marquez all staring at the trophy and walking past it. And the MotoGP's got that iconic plate plate tower trophy that they have to celebrate their world champions and all of the contenders other than Banyaya have had a crash at the some point this weekend <laughs> there yeah, were the guys uh, staring at the intro sequence yeah. we didn't even talk about Alicia Spargo suffered a ride height device failure and crashed out on the first lap uh, and one of two Aprilias to suffer that uh, Rula Fernandez did not crash but did have to retire again mm rear ride height device failure uh you know 
As these are just going to keep happening until uh, someone dies, and then they're still probably not going to get banned. That's kind of how it feels with uh, the way that's being approached. But 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 you gotta let him cook because that's innovative. He's playing with house money and he's losing. How do you pull that off? How do you like? He is so unbelievably talented. He's the dude that's that's like sitting on twenty on blackjack. Is like hit me. <laughs> um you have 17 sir um <laughs> that's what that, it's, like, it's like the austin powers 7 movie offsuit i'm all in I, 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 francesco bagnaia is the definition of i also like to live dangerously you have five the, sir <laughs> <laughs> but oh my god I, now i need to rewatch those when this podcast is over mm. but it is the conundrum of this man that he is it's weird. I, I said, I think last last podcast is that down the stretch last year, he was nigh on bulletproof mm. under the most pressure that he possibly could be. And it's almost like and it's very similar to Misano 21, as you said, it's almost like he it's almost like he dips into this well of pace and he starts to pull away. But he doesn't realize how close to the limit he actually is. And he just dumps the bike. And can I just say, and I can't take credit for this because there was a tweet that came out after the race, which was just beautiful. Mm. When Pekka was talking about how it completely wasn't his fault. Which make of that what you will. And that the bike is too good, too stable. For him to understand where the limit is. I'm suffering from success. Please help <laughs> oh, me. But this, but this is a thing. That the bike can be... It can feel so good at the limit that you actually don't know how close to the limit you are. Mm. Could you imagine if Mick Doohan crashed the bike and he comes back into the pits and tells Jeremy Burgess, yeah, I crashed because the bike was too good. <laughs> Jeremy Burgess fight in the history of motorsport. Jeremy Burgess snaps his leg like a like a twig. But again, <laughs> how many times is that this week? Too oh, many. God. Um, yeah, uh, look, th- I, I want to defend Manny just a little bit here because I do want to say at a certain point, given that only 13 riders saw the flag in this race. And it wasn't like it was a wet race. This was the lowest amount of finishes in a MotoGP race since Assen 2016. The infamous... Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a critical difference here. <laughs> yeah. Tell the class. Uh, that was the torrential downpour at Assen right before the race started in a race that was won by Jack Miller, who had 1,000 to 1 odds going into the race weekend on Thursday. Yeah, like that race... The, the race that broke, I think it was a 150-plus like plus race dry spell since we had an independent winner. Like, that race. That was the last time he only had 13 dudes in, see a checkered flag. In apocalyptic conditions. This yeah. was bone dry. This was bone dry. And look, to a degree, there is something to that. Like, it gets to a point where so many guys have crashed and binned it where you have to look around and say, well, hang on a minute. Well, how much of this is the track? Because... I've said it for a while in many places that two sport facility tracks often struggle with keeping their surface happy for both F1 and MotoGP. Hang on. Because they can't keep the surface happy for either. 
And it ends up being like Silverstone, where it ends up being unable to please both people. Silverstone tried to resurface their track and ended up with a Grand Prix cancelled as a direct result of that and nearly killing Tito Rabat. Um, yeah, don't remind me of that. It was a horrible weekend of bike racing. Um, and I used racing in inverted commas. Um, it's, yeah. it's a high aggregate industry, as Jason puts in the chat quite right. But I remember a year later when Carlos Sainz was driving on that surface. And he, I, mean, I remember he said to the, on the radio in FP1, um, I feel sorry for the MotoGP guys when they come here later this year. <laughs> Carlos Sainz is a bike fan. He knows what it's like. And he knew it was going to be bad. And it was bad because it was so bumpy. And Kota has that problem. Remember, it was built on a swamp. Yeah. And it, and it is subject to one of the most extreme climates um that exists anywhere on this earth you have extraordinarily high temperatures right now yeah the Roll track the temperature was 37 degrees in new money in the middle of april and then you're thinking oh that's typical but, for texas because it's in the sun battle of the united states it's hot all the time need i remind people that texas was recently in the news because of a power grid failure in the winter because it was so freaking cold yeah, it swings back and forth, and that causes the surface itself to actually contract and expand and trigger all these bumps in the surface. Oh, um, God. And then you couple that to a surface that even in and of itself, the asphalt itself is low grip. This track, we forget, is about a decade old now. It's actually more than a decade old. Um it is very difficult to please both. In this case, they're pleasing neither uh, because it's so bumpy for Formula One. They actually did have resurfaced some parts of it uh, individually to try and quell the problems with Formula One, but other problems still remain. And when you couple that to bikes that are cornering faster than ever with all the aero, and you couple that to tires that are not fit for purpose because you do not know when they're going to let go. You are always critical on front tire pressure. Mm-hmm. You are always going to have problems in dirty air because the tire pressure spikes so badly that you get this many people going down. I mean, in just the race itself, we had 10 people go down. One of them was able to remount with Brad Bender. I mean, KTM had a weekend from hell uh, for the factory team. Oof. Uh, Jack Miller crashed six times. Um. You know, asking all the questions of his front tire, and unfortunately, the front tire spat it back out at him. Which is amazing when you consider both gas gases made it home. Augusto Fernandez cracked the top ten. He has more points than both of Repsol Honda, both of Repsol Honda's riders combined. And Jonas Volga, who steps in for Paul Espargaro until he's healthy again, get well soon, Paul. First MotoGP race back in seven years. He's been fighting Gilbert syndrome. For those who don't know about Jonas Volga's story, it's why you, that, that name might ring a bell to some of you. When he used to ride for Tech Free, he's had a, he, did, he did a couple of wild cards in Moto Two. Did, did spent some time in World Superbikes, just trying to get his speed back. Um, first race back, twelfth place, four points for Gas Gas. What a story! What a comeback for Jonas Volga. Delighted for I love him. It. I love um, it. This balanced out so much of the bad stuff. Of this. Oh yeah of this race and you but, know on a it, rough weekend for motorsport but Jonas Volger like even if he wasn't like the quickest dude on track because he wasn't but at the end of the day he got to prove that he could still ride a bike at speed and he got away with multiple championship points how could you not love that yeah it, man scores multiple points from 22nd on the grid by doing nothing 
Is it is his middle name Luigi by any chance? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and it it is not isolated to here either. We had a ton of crashes in the first weekend, and it just feels like it feels like we're at the point where these bikes are just permanently. I mean, they're MotoGP bikes. Let's be real; they're always right on the edge of a crash. It's a three hundred twenty horsepower aluminum missile. Yeah, with a man strapped on top. But it feels like they are just so front critical now. Which is amazing when you consider the fact that they would. I remember people, people like Marini talking about after the race, after the sprint race, it was like, oh, I think the guys are starting to get it now. You know, we've, we're starting to get a good idea of the level of aggression needed and we're starting to understand how the front tire works when we push it a, a little bit more aggressively in a sprint. I think people can't have calmed down a bit. The race one day later. Half the grid hits the deck. (laughs) Ten dudes crash out of in a 22 bike field. Um, Yeah, amazing in the best and worst possible sense. So look, some mitigation of defense for Francesco Barniard. It is not all on him. But Uh, counter that back around, and I'm not saying you're wrong, mm. but when he's got a 30% crash rate since the start of last year, maybe we're both right on this one. What 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 a bizarre and confusing set of circumstances that is. I mean, it's it's incredible in the worst possible sense. A couple of the things I wanted to clean up from the weekend before we get out of here is, is, is as well because there's some other things that are worth uh, worth talking about. First and foremost, Moto 2's fight between Pedro Acosta and Tony Arbolino. Oh. What a fantastic fight that was. Talking about the lower classes on, on Motorsport 101. This we've is what we're talking to. about, but yeah. damn. There's been a lot to talk about in the top flight this year, so we do apologize, but this was fantastic. What a, that was a proper Barney. That was I a need gr- to go back and watch this. You do. It, it was a fantastic fight. It was Acosta, and he, he was like, Acosta was at the limit for pretty much the entire race. And it was a it was a great story where you had Arbolino, who was so good on the brakes, so late he could break, he could defend anything Acosta could throw at him. And every time Acosta got ahead, he made a minor mistake. He went wide a couple of times. He had a big twitch coming out of the back of the infield section as well, where we lost the lead there. And then Acosta finally got it figured out on the final lap. And then Arbolino still nearly won because Acosta got over-defensive on the final corner. It was a fantastic fight. The best race on two wheels I've seen so far this year. This was a 10 out of 10 classic. And I love love that Pedro Acosta said after the race, no one can call Moto2 boring anymore, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> I like this kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Moto2, Moto2's had a tough rap as, a, as you know, kind of a stationary series. But, you know, if, if we get more of these, I need I definitely need to go back and watch this because you're mean, telling me it's this good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they've always had scrapping, but, you know, oftentimes it's not for the lead. Um, in this case, it was just two guys going for the lead. Again, going out back and grabbing ever larger steel chairs, forcing each other into mistakes and asking each other all the questions. Yeah, and there was chaos behind them as well because there was a six-bike fight for the final podium spot, and it was won by Bo Benschneider. (laughs) Bo Benschneider's first podium finish in any class, I think, since 2016. Um, 
Big Bo Ben Schneider has been one of these guys we've always kind of liked as um, the first Dutch intermediate uh, class sitter, I think since 1988 or something like that. Crazy long time since we last had a Dutchman in the intermediate class crack the podium. And there was a bar fight between him, between um, Fermin Aldegar, um, Alonso Lopez, Aaron Canet. It was an absolute war. And then Bo, after he got on the podium, dedicated, dedicated it to the passing of his grandfather, who sadly passed away this last this past Friday, he dedicated it to him. It's why he was in floods of tears when, he, when his bike rolled up in the paddock. So uh, uh, a, 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 a nice touch on uh, a, an emotional weekend for Bo. Um, uh, so good for him. And um, also, I love the fact that the, the Brits were hyping up Jake Dixon again, started in sick, but he crashed on the warm-up lap. <sighs> the, it's like the more the more they hype him up and the more they try to put him on the pedestal, the worse things get. Leave Jake Dixon alone, okay? Just stop talking. Do what Formula E does with Sam Bird. Just don't acknowledge his presence, and maybe he'll actually get his shit together. We like Jake Dixon on this show. We really like Jake Dixon on this show. Like, he's a lovely man, and he's a genuinely charismatic, funny guy, and BT Sport ruins it by over-egging the pudding on him. And every time this happens, something more stupid happens, like this one. Oh, on the much. subject of super things happening, I hate to close out this weekend, but uh, mm. I, I missed this over the weekend as well. Uh, and I know that like racing series don't always do the most thorough job of vetting like celebrities that come in, like non-motorsport celebrities that come in, non-sporting celebrities that come in, whether they're like guests of the track or they're in this case meant to perform the national anthem. Um, I was doing some research on our national anthem singer, Suzanne Santo, and I know you were, and so was Simon Patterson, which is apparently more than what MotoGP did, because you could tell a lot about a person's character in between what they post on social media, between like promoting their actual line of work. And, uh, well, Suzanne Santos, uh, what she, what she boosts contains multitudes, and I'm, not I'm all of them good. And by that, no. I mean, I mean, when one of the tweets and this is a this is a potential content warning, so brace yourself. Um, look after yourself out there. But when you're retweeting people that are saying hormone, like getting hormones is easy, but mental health care is hard, there is no bigger transphobic dog whistle than that one. And I don't even think it would be fair to say that's a dog whistle. That's a whistle that everybody can hear. And uh, it, it's it's transphobic bullshit. And if you scroll down further, there's a lot of anti-vaxxer bullshit in there as well. Like, I'd it, almost, I'm all of a specter to take like the side of the train company that dumped all that uh, toxic chemicals in the river in East Palestine, Ohio, except for the fact that like, oh, she's actually like, yeah, this is kind of fucked up. Some people are just weird with the with the shit that they believe outside of their like line of work. Come on. That took three minutes of Googling, which apparently is more vetting than MotoGP does because they believe that it's okay for a transphobe to market, promote, and represent their sport. I don't need to say much more than what I've always said on this show, and I will repeat it because it, it I think it should be mentioned more often. This is a show made, produced, and published by people that represent all walks of life for all walks of life. I speak for everybody here when I say that Mo Sport should be for everyone, 
And now more than ever, and I, and I want to take this one step further on this one, right? Mm-hmm. Now more than ever in the United States, in the UK, in many other places around the world, the very existence of trans people is under threat right here and now. The last thing any major platform should be doing is promoting anyone that is spouting transphobic bullshit on a major platform right now. And right now, the trans community is part of the LGBT greater community at large. They need more cisgendered allies in more platforms to step it the fuck up, right? And the last thing MotoGP should be doing, which, and I've said this throughout last year, has done the square root of zero regarding any inclusivity or diversity in donkey's years. They had a golden chance to do so when George Floyd was murdered in 2020, right? And they posted a hashtag saying Black Lives Matter and then did absolutely nothing with it. The the only person in the community, in the paddock, in the community at large, who has spoken up about this has been Franco Morbidelli. He's the only one. He is a he has been the one voice in an otherwise complete void. In, uh, absolutely, completely, one hundred percent. The last thing any sport should be doing is putting a blatant public transphobe front and center of their sports to promote themselves at the sport's expense. Cisgendered allies need to step up, otherwise we are going to lose an entire identity of people and the sport has to do so much better. We all in sport have to do so much better. And when a major motorsport series, a world championship can't even do that right on a basic level, it's embarrassing for everybody involved. End of discussion. And you know how, how this personally affects me. Of course. Absolutely. And, And you know what? I say let's 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 be about it. Let's actually give someone in the trans space, uh, you know, a chance to speak about their own experiences as a fan and as a contributor to the sport. Well, esports really, which is why our guest for our net show is Queens Design esports driver Ruby Acosta. She'll be joining us as our guest to talk about her home race, the IndyCar Grand Prix of Long Beach. That'll be a hopefully that'll be a great time. And annoyingly, there's probably going to be some shit to talk about from that weekend because a lot of social media discourse in in that weekend was also very unsavory. Motorsport, could we please get your shit in in order, please? I, I, I'm I tired like of these never. nasty finishes. Well, <laughs> I, I would like to stop talking about this, and they just won't let me. No, they no, just we... won't give me reasons to stop. Well, I have to keep the... expanding on it because, well. If the sport is go, if, if MotoGP is going to do this and say what they're saying with their full chest, people got to call their shit out. Ah, <sighs> it's in a lot of walks of life beyond just our own little boundaries of motorsport. Things need to be better. We can all do better, and that's the point. And it starts with us, and that's why I'm very proud to be the editor-in-chief on this platform, to be able to use our, our space, no matter how small or big it may be in the grand scheme of things, to highlight, promote, and lend a voice 
to people that might not necessarily get it in other spaces. And unfortunately, it's a shame that the sports we love talking about often turn the other way. And that is very unfortunate. As RJ alluded to, our next episode will be on IndyCar's Grand Prix of Long Beach. That'll be out later this week. Um, From me, Dre Harrison, RJ O'Connell, and Cam Buckley, before we get out of here one more time, one more time, rest in peace, Craig Breen. It was a pleasure and an honor to be able to watch you drive. Sayonara. <laughs>